Scripture reading this morning is Genesis 27, verses 30 through 34, and 48, verses 8 through 20. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. As um, Anthony just said, I want to reiterate, we're having service here 9 a.m. for the next next two weeks. And we've been told that that's the last time we'll, this year we'll have to move services. So thank you for working with us. And I hope that you stick around for our town hall a Q&R with Exodus Transitional Communities. I'm looking forward to that conversation. We've been looking at the book of Genesis the past couple of, of months, really this whole year on and off, because... We want to ask the basic questions of life towards it. We want to ask questions, what are we here for? Why am I here? What's the point of everything? Who do I love? Who's going to love me? 
Those are questions our whole culture is asking right now, and we're asking that, those questions to Genesis to see what we can find. And I believe these are questions that are the essence of what it means to be human. If you're not from a church background right now, I hope that through today's text that you will see that the uniqueness of Christianity and how it answers those questions is utterly profound. If you are from a church background, you need to see the uniqueness too for our everyday lives. And so today, let's just quickly ask three simple questions. What's unique about Christianity and how it talks about us, number one? Number two, what are the steps of response? And then number three, what you, what's unique about how we live in light of that? All right, so we're going to look at what's unique about how Christianity talks about who we are, what are the steps of response, and then how do we live in light of that? So number one, what's unique about how Christianity talks about who we are? And this is, we're going to a- answer this question by looking at the life of Jacob. And Jacob, in this text here in verse 30, by now, Jacob's dad, Isaac, has been wanting to give a blessing to Jacob. Sorry, to, uh, to, to Esau. That it was intended for Esau because why? The cultural view back then was that Esau, as the oldest, deserved the blessing. He deserved the inheritance. That's why everybody did things for centuries and centuries. And what, by now, Esau has lost that blessing because Jacob, dressed up as Esau, and because Isaac's eyes were going, couldn't really see very well, and he tricked his father to give the blessing to him. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah, Jacob's mother, was in on this deception. She helped in this process. She dressed Jacob up as Esau. So that the deception actually happened. And then if you look in our text, in verse 33, this made, of course, when, he found, when Isaac found out, this made Isaac, it says here, uh, that he was trembling violently. He, this is mad. He is upset. He is really, really upset at what Jacob did. And then Esau, it's kind of, it's really sad too. Esau, look what he says. Bless me too, my father. He's so, I mean, the anguish there is, is so powerful that he's like, I'm missing out on this blessing. I need this blessing. I want this blessing. And he can't get it. And then, interestingly, Jacob, through, I mean, I, I mean uh, Isaac, about Jacob says, as, even though he's really, really mad, he still says, Jacob's going to be blessed. In, look at the word in, um, this is verse, uh, uh, where is it? 30... Um, Thirty-three. Right, Isaac is trembling violently, but then he says about Jacob, "Indeed, he will be blessed." And I think a lot of people we walk right over that, but here's the problem: as modern people, we don't understand that because we think, "Wait a second, blessing is something that you can just sort of, uh, you know, undo." Because we think blessing is just a mere like, "Oh, I want to bless you," you know, blessings to you. So why doesn't Isaac just sort of unbless Jacob? That's not me. Why doesn't Isaac just unbless Jacob here? Why doesn't he say, hey, that doesn't count, Jacob. What I said about how awesome you are and what's going to happen to you, why don't you just, why don't I just take that away and say, just kidding, no longer applies, I undo it. And that's what we think. And the reason why we think that way is because we think that that a blessing is something just, you know, a nice sentiment. 
But that's not understanding the Bible. The Bible sees the word blessing as a multifaceted proclamation of truth over someone else. That when you have a blessing, it has the power to set the course of your life. And if you think that's superstitious, if you think that's, that's um, you know, trite, then you don't understand the power of words in your life. Everybody in this room knows that if a mother or a father looks over a son or a daughter and says to you, says that son or daughter, son or daughter, you are nothing. You're going to amount to nothing. That has the power to affect you and impact you and change you, which is why when I do weddings, what I, what I try to tell people is at weddings, I say in, in your life, your whole life, people have been making proclamations on you. They've told you you're, you're uh, you know, not good enough or you're not pretty enough or you're not kind enough. But if your spouse, or this actually, by the way, works if a, re- a really good friend comes into your life and says, you know what, I know you need your core and you are kind and you are beautiful and you are lovely. That statement, that proclamation, that blessing changes you. It reprograms you. It moves you. It can heal you. And so we don't understand the power of blessing, but I would actually argue this. Everybody in this room, everybody in the world is seeking blessing. In fact, that's actually what's happening in our text, too. Everybody in our text is seeking blessing as well. Look at, let's start with Rebecca. Rebecca's the mother of Jacob. She's the one who's the mastermind behind the whole plan. It was her idea. It wasn't in our text. It's earlier on in, in, in the Bible. But she says, Jacob, dress up in Esau's clothes. She gets the goat skins. She cooks the meal that Esau would have made. And pans it off as Esau's. And so, why is she doing that? She is so desperate for Jacob to get the blessing. Because if he gets it, then she gets it. So, she's seeking it through Jacob. How about Esau? Some people look at Esau as the victim in this text. Oh, you know, Esau, he's the innocent one. But people forget that Esau so didn't care about his birthright. He didn't care about the fact that he was the oldest. That he actually sold it to Jacob in Genesis chapter 25. And so what's really happening here is that he's trying to get around the consequences of his earlier actions. Which is why, look, go back to verse 32. When, he, when Isaac asks, who are you? When, Jake, when Esau says, I'm your son, your firstborn. <laughs> of course Isaac already knows that he's his firstborn. Why is he saying, I'm, I'm your firstborn? It's kind of saying, hey dad, you know, it's me, your favorite, your firstborn son, the guy that you love. What's happening there? Esau is desiring blessing too through what he used to always get, his status as the firstborn. How about Isaac? Father Isaac, how's he seeking blessing? He's seeking blessing because he's been doing this for decades. He had been favoring Esau over Jacob. He'd been creating these toxic, poisonous family dynamics. How how is that happening? Because when you favor one child over the other, you love one, not the other, and everybody sees it. It breaks down the family. It breaks down the individuals. And so Isaac had been doing this for so long, even though earlier in chapter 25 that he was told that actually the older is going to serve the younger, and yet he's been doing everything he can to get around how God was going to change things. And so he's been trying to give a blessing to his oldest son because that's how culture valued things back then. And he's been trying to do that. 
the whole time. Why else would he have conducted this blessing in secret in a bedroom? Right? If it was really that great, why didn't he do it in public so everybody could see it? It's because he was hiding from the fact that he didn't want everybody else to witness this. How about Jacob? Jacob's name means schemer. It means deceiver. Why did he do What was he seeking blessing? He was seeking blessing because he felt like if he didn't go off and get it, it was never going to come to him. And how did he do it? He lied. He cheated. He stole. But what did he, but let's get underneath that. What did he really want? What he wanted was what I think everybody wants. He just wanted his father, he wanted his father, mother to look at him and say, I love you. I value you. I care for you. He wants what everybody really wants. And he felt like he wasn't going to get it unless he went out and, and stole it. And so he felt like he had to take it. And so let's back up for a second here. This text is not just showing off Jacob. It's showing every single individual in, in, in this story, and it's showing them how they're seeking blessing. Which one are, are you? Are you the mastermind, like Rebecca? Are you the entitled, like Esau, because of his status? Are you, uh, maybe you're Isaac, that you've thrown your, your life and your happiness into that favorite son, that favorite job, that favorite uh, career, that favorite city, that favorite town. I mean, are you like Isaac in that sense? Or maybe you're Jacob. Maybe your whole life, you've been so insecure, you're so in need, there's such a hole and gap in your heart that you will do anything and everything to fill that need. Which one are you? Let me put it a different way. Let's try it this way. How are you today dressing up to be someone that you aren't to get what you think you need? Because that's what Jacob does. That's what we do. And so, before we move on, we just need to ask ourselves, where might we be seeking blessings in the wrong places? Where might we be looking at the wrong sources? And here's what's so sad. Here's what happens. If you actually ever get the blessing that you think you need, that you want, it won't be enough. Look at Jacob. He got the embrace of his father. He got the hug, didn't he? He got the love. And yet, because of the means that he did it, it was a hollow embrace. It wasn't enough. Because it's never enough. And this is, this is the first point. This is what's so unique about Christianity. And what's unique about the Bible is that most stories of the world, they do this. There's the people who are in and there's people who are out. Every movie we will watch, every television program, almost every story of our modern culture says there are the good guys and there are the bad guys. There are the people who are, are, that we should hold on to and there are the people that we need to cast down. And the Bible doesn't play that game. The Bible shows Every single person, every hero in the Bible, name me a hero, I, I, I dare you, name me a hero, I'll tell you how they're deeply and completely flawed. Why? Though the principles from Romans 3, right, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, we're all dead in our transgressions. Those are the principles, but the lived stories here shows us the Bible doesn't break people down into the good guys and the bad guys, the people who deserve to be saved and the people who do not deserve to be saved. But that's how the world does things. That's how every other religion does things. Every religion says, here's a list. Do this list, and then you're in. By the way, Christianity has a list too. Ten Commandments, the moral law. But guess what? It says, here's the list, and you'll never do it. You can't fully do it. And that makes it utterly and completely different. We're all seeking blessings in this room, and we're all seeking them from the wrong places, and, we're, and even the heroes of the Bible are doing the same thing. 
And you can do it through bad behavior, and you can do it through good behavior, and you can get the resume, or you can not get the resume, but both are ways for us to seek blessing in the wrong places. And before we move on, what version is your version? Which character is your character? You know how you do that sometimes? I associate with this. I associate with that person. No. Which one are you? We're all seeking blessings, and that's what's unique. That's the unique nature of Christianity. It doesn't play that game. It doesn't divide us out, number one. Number two, fine. What's the uh, steps of response? And I think there's three steps of response here. Number one, if the world doesn't break down that way, if everybody's messed up in this story, if everybody's messed up in the story of life, well, then do we just sort of, you know, throw our hands up in the air and go, I guess there's nothing to do. No, look at the text again. And Isaac in verse 33, when he's trembling violently, he's so mad, he's so upset, it doesn't come out in the English, but in the Hebrew, this word indeed, and indeed he'll be blessed, we think that's a statement of fact. That word indeed is, beho- is the word behold. It's almost like in the middle of his anger, all of a sudden he kind of wakes up and goes, wait a second. Well, you know, I'm so mad. Actually, indeed, behold, wait a second, he will be blessed. He actually will be blessed. What's happening there? In that moment, I think, I think what's happening is we're getting an inside lens into Isaac's heart where we're, he's finally realizing, wait a second, the Lord all along had said it was going to be Jacob. I've been trying so hard to get my blessing through Esau. You know what? Behold, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. He is going to get blessed. I'm going to let God do it the way God wants to do it. One commentary said, this is not a statement of fact, it's a statement of defeat. I'm not trying to do it my way anymore. I'm going to let God do it the way. So here's the first step. First step is this. Stop trying to do it yourself. First step is actually a realization that you are trying to do it, as we just talked about, number one. Number two, second step. Later on in, in uh, Jacob's life, this is the next uh, passage here, uh, Jacob is now called Israel. In verse 8, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, that's Jacob. And what's interesting here is now Joseph, his son, is trying to get a blessing from Jacob. He wants, Joseph, his son, wants Jacob to bless his grandkids. But before he does that, Jacob has to first bless Joseph, right, in order. And so look at verse 15. He sits down and says, okay, I'm going to bless. Then he blessed Joseph. And this is what he said. May the, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd... All my life, the angel has delivered me from all harm. Hmm. That's an interesting statement. Go back to Jacob's life. How can he say God has delivered him from all harm? This is Jacob who never was loved by his father. This is Jacob who had a a deep wound that would not heal. This is Jacob who had to run from his brother after he stole what was Esau's. And had to live on the run, hiding in caves, and waking up every morning, not, you know, realizing that last night was not his last night. He didn't know if, if he would be killed in the night by his brother. This is Jacob who spent years and years and years toiling as, as the shepherd for Laban. Hard work. And then only to be cheated by Laban. Only to have his own kids who then lied to him about Joseph. I mean, this man has been through many, many hardships, many, many hurts, and yet at the end of his life, he can say, guess what? I know the Lord is my shepherd, and he has not brought harm to me. How could he say that? 
How could he actually make that kind of statement? A lot of people don't know this. This is the first time in the entire Bible that God is associated as a shepherd. And in the Bible, what a shepherd is, a shepherd is somebody who leads you, somebody who provides for you, somebody who cares for you, who takes you down certain paths. And so I guess I need to stop here and say, wait a second, do you believe that? Do you believe the Lord is your shepherd? Do you believe, like Jacob did about God, that as hard as his life was, that Jacob could say, guys, guess what, the whole, this whole time I know that he has kept me from harm. And this is where it gets important. He hasn't kept you from all harm, but he's kept you from all real harm, cosmic harm, ultimate harm. Do you feel like God has actually said that over your life? Can you, will you say the same thing? When something bad happens, is, are you the kind of person who goes, why, God, are you doing this? Or are you the kind of person who goes, I guess there isn't a God. Or, or, are you the kind of person that goes like this? Because you know what? I don't know why he's taking me down that dark, scary path. I don't know why he's taking me down that really hard path. I don't know why he's bringing me in this direction. But you know what? I know he's leading me. I know that he's for me. And so the second step, yeah, after you try not to do it yourself or you recognize that you are trying to do it yourself, will you not just allow him to lead? Will you know he's leading in your life? Will you recognize that? Will you acknowledge it? Will you state it? Will you remember it? Second step. Third step. Jacob says, God is not just his shepherd. It says, the angel of the Lord delivered him from all harm. And this word deliver is an important Hebrew word because it's the word redeem. In other words, he's saying, I know my Lord is my redeemer. This is, and this is where, I, you know, you can sit and contemplate this. How the heck did he know that God would redeem him? How did he know that God was going to pay, pay for and take care of his debt, his cheating, his lying, his stealing? Somehow he knew in the depths of his heart that he had that. That he had a God who was his redeemer. How can you and I know that? Step three is that centuries later after Jacob lived, after, centuries later after Jacob lived, there was a man where Jacob tried to steal the blessing from his father. Jesus Christ came to give the blessing of his father. See, centuries later, Jacob tries to steal the Esau's blessing so that he could have his father's love. Jesus came to give the blessing so that we can hear finally and fully our ultimate father's love. See, this is what I think is so fascinating here is that ultimately I think our deepest longing, your heart's deepest longing, my heart's deepest longing at the end of the day is to be loved. And we are seeking that love in every single place to be accepted, to be known, to be hugged, to be held. And not just part of our life to be held. See, I think we've all, some people in this room have been uh, embraced for our productive side. And some of us have been embraced for our pretty side. But we want to be embraced fully and completely. Not just the shiny, pretty parts. And how does that come? Ironically, again, it's not in our text, but it's earlier in this story. When Jacob's freaking out and wondering, how can I, 
handle the consequences that come from stealing my father's blessing. He's, he's freaking out about it. You know what his mother says, Rebecca? She says this. She goes, my son, let the curse fall on me. It was actually a prophetic statement. My son, let the curse fall on me. She said that thoughtlessly. She said that capriciously. She said that flippantly. Jesus says it graciously. Because Jesus says, I'm going to take the curse so that you can have the blessing. A couple months ago, I saw the, the music man on Broadway, um, Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman, Wolverine. He wasn't Wolverine in the, in the, sh- in the show. He played uh, Harold Hill, this con man who goes to this small town and he shows up, and he's trying to swindle everybody. And Sutton Foster plays uh, Marion the librarian, who at the end of the musical finds out who Harold Hill really was, that he was a swindler, that he was a cheat. And surprise, beyond all surprise, she sees him at his worst and still loves him. And so at the very end, and when the mob comes and finds out about him, When he normally, in other towns, he would have skipped town and left and run away. You know what he does? He stays. She says, run, run for your life. And he stays. Why does he stay? He stays because he's changed, because he's fully known by her and fully loved. And that allows him to be able to stay, to face the music, pun intended. (laughs) To stick around. To be able to repent, to be able to, uh, to apologize. See, this is what I find so interesting. If you allow this in, if you allow Jesus who looked on the cross, what he says to you and I, he says, I know you to your bottom, I see you to your core, I have infinite knowledge of all the things that you probably don't even know about yourself, and I love you anyway. If you don't like just like that be a happy thought, but if you make that the basis by which your life is, is moved... If you let that be the engine behind, the catalytic engine behind your actions and attitudes and behaviors, it would change you too. You could stay. You could repent. Just like he was able to bask in the wonder of a woman who loved him despite his seen flaws, you and I could bask in the wonder of a God who knows all our flaws. All Jacob really wanted at the end of the day, all he wanted was his father to say, I love you. You are wonderful. You are in. And he didn't get that actually ultimately in his earthly father, but he did get it through his heavenly father. And you can have that too because we have a God in the person of Jesus. He's the only shepherd who becomes a lamb so that we lambs can finally fully know the shepherd. All right, last point. How do we live in light of this? If those are the steps of response because of the uniqueness of Christianity that we're all in the same boat, Look at, go back to our text. Look at verse 13. Joseph shows up here. He wants Jacob to bless his oldest son, Manasseh. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but it should, because that's exactly what Isaac was trying to do to Esau. And Joseph says, hey, place your right hand of blessing on Manasseh. And so he literally lines up Manasseh on his right hand and Ephraim on his left hand. And then what's so interesting is that Jacob does something crazy. He switches his hands. And he kind of, he does, he does a switcheroo, and he puts his right hand on Ephraim, and he puts his left hand on Manasseh. And, just, and look at verse 17. This displeased Joseph. Basically, Joseph is like, no, dad, you blind buffoon. What are you doing? That's not, that's not it. Manasseh's the firstborn. And Jacob goes, son, 
You don't get it. It will be through the younger brother. What's happening in that moment? I think what's happening is, is Jacob is finally figuring out that the struggle for love his whole life, his desire for blessing, he's finally listening. And he's realizing that God does not work through the normal ways of life. That he doesn't work through how the world works. Through the eldest son, one way. Through lying, cheating, and stealing, the other way. Those are both worldly ways. No, God works in the least expected way. Whatever the world culture does, he doesn't. If the world loves the strong, the Lord loves the weak. If the world loves the eldest, he loves the youngest. If the world loves the... um, Abled, he loves the disabled. That's why in the Bible, over and over again, it's Abel, not Cain. It's Jacob, not Esau. It's Isaac, not Ishmael. It's David, not Saul. It's the the poor little Israelites instead of the great nation of Egypt. It's always the moral outsider, not the moral insider. It's always the cripple, not the stout. I mean, we could go on, but I think the Bible is clear about this. It not, there's nothing necessarily wrong about being able or stronger or the oldest. But God is so desperate for us to see that the way he works is not the way that we work. He's so desperate for us to see that what he's bringing with this kingdom, the restoration and redemption of all of creation, is utterly through a different power scheme. That what the world sees as lame, he sees as good. That's why a lot of people, they look around at Christianity and go, Christianity... So basic. It's so blasé. And Christianity says that's the point. It's always through the basic, the blasé, that God works and loves and values what the world doesn't. And by the way, that's not just a concept. That's not like a fun, oh, that's a fun thought. No, that, this, the Bible says that's the way of life. It's how to live now. So how do you live in light of this now? Let me, give you, let me try to make it as practical as possible. Real quick. Number one. Don't be so quick to run away from your hardships. Don't be so quick to run away from uh, pain. Because every single one of the people in our text, they became great not despite the hardships, but through the hardships. I found in my life growing up in this town, the people who don't go through hardships don't know how to go through hardships. (laughs) People who have no hardships don't know how to deal with hardships. David was only a great shepherd of people because he was a shepherd of sheep first. Noah was only a great uh, leader because he was humiliated about the flood. Peter, we looked at the other day. Peter was only able to lead people because he failed Jesus three times and was restored back to it. And so I guess what this means for you is don't run from your faults. See what God might be trying to tell you through them. See what he wants to show you. Let his love cover you and by through that... You're going to be able to handle anything the world brings. So number one, don't run away from your hardships. Number two, if you're going to live in light of this, don't be so quick to run away from not just hardships, but the broken and the ugly in your life. What do I mean by that? The world has made names of people. And we think that we're supposed to run from that. Actually, God sees beauty where we don't. The homeless, the needy, the poor, the broken, the city. People talk about, oh, the city's not as nice. With this in your life, we stop using the city just to get something from it. We start loving the city for what it is in and of itself. Not just the city, people. 
want to make this really practical? Who in your life have you kind of said, generally speaking, eh, I don't need to associate with those folks? Who, you know, might not have it look like they have it all put together? If God always works through the upside down, if he always works through the inside out, we wouldn't run away, we'd run towards those folks. This is, by the way, um, some people don't like community groups at Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, Why? Because I don't want to have to sit with people I wouldn't necessarily normally put myself around. That's kind of the point. And what you'll find over time, those awkward, strange people, that was you too, to them. You needed them as much as they needed you. So don't run from the broken. Last, Last point. Assess the things that you might be seeking blessing from. Will that thing die for you? Will that thing love you like he will? If you're beating yourself up right now, you aren't letting him be your redeemer. If you are essentially saying, I don't need him, you're not letting him be your redeemer. If you seek the blesser and not the blessing, guess what ends up happening? You will be blessed. Rejoice in the blesser. And joy comes through the blessing. If you haven't done this in a very long time, or maybe never, because you're like worried that if I throw my life on Jesus, if I give myself to him, he might not give me back what I want. Whatever you think that you want that will fulfill you, it's infinitely less than what he will actually give you. He will, Jesus will give you something far better than the blessing that you're seeking. So don't evaluate G- Christianity based on if it can give you a comfortable life. I don't think that's how it works. But what it can give you is life everlasting. And if it does that, it would make us a people that would be generous to move out and love and serve the world. Generosity is not about just giving people other stuff. It's about realizing I don't need to give it to myself anymore. Because I already have. And when I have, I can give and serve and love. And the last thing I want to say is I I pray. I know summer's coming. People in this town try to relax. They try to recuperate from the year. But I want us to be a people, a generous church that's going to serve with our time and our talents and our treasures. Not because we have to, because we want to. And why do we want to? Because we've been blessed through the blesser. Stop seeking blessings through these other things. Seek it in him. And if you seek, you will find. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these stories in the Bible that show us real people with real problems because it lets us see ourselves in them. And we know if you could love them, you can love us. In fact, you do. Help us to see you don't divide the world into the in and the out, the haves and have-nots. What you do is you divide the world into those who come to you and those who don't. I pray that we would come to you. Praise in your name. Amen.